All right. Hello, and welcome back to a, a special edition, a, a joint show, uh, Faith Unaltered, Real Seekers, and uh, Skeptics and Seekers. So it's uh, three podcasts for the price of one. And this is a kind of a, a special event. It's, it's a show that I, to be honest, never thought I would ever do. Um, because I, I'm not going to go into too much details, but me and David have had had some issues and, and stuff like that. But um, we've kind of worked things out behind the scenes. And it consistent with the Bible, I, I've been able to forgive him and we've been able to reconcile as friends again and stuff like that. So here we are, we, we thought we would do a surprise show and um, talk about kind of having conversations. How, how do atheists and skeptics relate to each other? And um, I know it's a show that I think in our first season of Skeptics and Seekers, when I was a host, me and David kind of did a part one type thing at that time. So this is kind of a follow up to that. But just before we, we get into that, obviously, uh, David, this this is also a Skeptics and Seekers uh, show. So, yeah, do you, do you have like an intro or anything you want to say? Uh, yeah, but you know what? I'll uh, I'll do it in post. So uh, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm good. Yeah, can't can't complain. Uh, it's been a busy week. I've had, I think I've posted up about, this is going to be the fifth podcast this week, which is way too much, but um, yeah. <laughs> You've you got me beat. This is only my third this week. Oh, goodness. Okay. What type yeah. of podcast have you been doing? I've done Red Letters, patreon.com slash Red Letters, if you want to hear all about how an atheist understands Jesus. You can pick up a free book, Red Letters, or Closer Look at the Worst uh, Practical and Moral Teachings in History. I don't know if the title gives away uh, my opinions there. I'm not subtle. Uh, you, can, you can grab that, uh, patreon.com slash red letters. So I've done that and uh, an episode of 4S. So if your audience is not familiar with 4S, Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. And uh, what we do is just we pick a sermon and we go through that sermon as if we were sitting in the pew, uh, except you have the control to make the preacher shut up for a minute while you talk about <laughs> some of what you heard. And so I've got uh, actually four people in the pew with me, one each week. I call them the four uh and they are indeed fantastic. So we got uh, Clint, uh, Haycock, Sarah, Matt, and Brian Y as uh, members of the four. And so the latest episode of that is up. So I think that's all of my contractual commercials that I uh, have to give. And even though uh, we're on your show, it's not going to maybe sound like that when it hits my feed. So tell us about your show shows you alluded to earlier and where people can find them yeah so so i'm the host of real seeker ministries and i do at least one show every every week uh this time kind of thing with various guests and and stuff like that or i do certain solo shows where i go in more depth on a given topic and stuff like that um but yeah i'm at uh just real seekers on youtube and or uh, real seeker ministries wordpress.com for my blog cool um so in case anyone is wondering i mean the the convention of introducing a show and saying this is for us or this is you know real seekers or whatever is 
something that neither Dale and I cared about. I, I guess it's a necessity, but it's it's. I don't really think of this as a Forrest show. He doesn't really think of it as one of his shows. And so there's no moderator. As so, kind of uh, traditional uh, SNS style. No moderator. Uh, we have a topic that we want to talk about. Um, I, I have some shared notes, but those notes are by no need, uh, by no means handcuffs for the conversation. Uh, you know, if there are some awkward pauses, it's because it's been a while since we've done this and uh, we're out of practice. So who who is leading the discussion, moving it along? Everybody, nobody. I don't know. Let's do this. What are we talking about, Dale? Yeah, so um, basically today it's, it's all about, um, you know, how can atheists and Christians engage in a meaningful and substantive conversation? What are some of the things that uh, David and I have learned um, are conducive towards that? What are some things that prevent that or, or hurt that? Because obviously, like I said, we, we've had our own issues and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's just kind of a sharing some of the lessons that I think we've, we've learned over the years on that front. Um, yeah. In, in a sense, it's a little bit like asking the audience to take marriage counseling from uh, divorcees. Um, so, you know, we're we're probably extremely ill-equipped <laughs> to to talk about this uh, very credibly, and yet the credibility we bring to it uh, is mostly uh, our our own perspective of our uh triumphs and errors and things that we can probably do better i for one don't come at this as some kind of um expert in conversation i've never been a conversational expert um but i have had lots of opportunities over the years to have many conversations and try to get better try to try to see what works what doesn't um where i can improve and so i'll be i'll be bringing that to the table and if experience equals expertise uh then i guess we both have have some expertise but uh, just understand that i bring way more uh humility to the table than expertise gotcha okay cool well I think with that said, I know um, I've seen your list of stuff that you want to talk about, but I think the place to start is one of my points for us to discuss, because I think this actually is appropriate for the beginning, right? And it's it's the fact that, look, in order to have a good conversation, we have to realize, be aware that sometimes different people, atheists or Christians, will have different goals. You know, what is our goal in having the conversation? And obviously, from my Point, point of view as a Christian, um, I think it's important for atheists to understand, look, it, it's not just about having a fun conversation between friends and stuff like that, although I am uh, this kind of geek, I, I do love philosophy, so yeah, I probably would engage in the conversation with that, but when I'm doing these podcasts, there's way, way more importance. I'm hoping to play some kind of role in saving your soul or saving an atheist soul or someone in the audience or something like that. Um, so there is that added dimension. And um, with that, I, I, you do carry some kind of expectation or at least hope that the other person will be seriously engaging and considering what you're saying. 
Yeah, so expectational debt is um, a thing that uh, I have in my notes, sort of, but maybe not directly. So you can you can almost be certain that the Christian and the skeptic in a conversation like this does not have the same goals. Uh, the Christian always has in the back of their mind, usually has in the back of their mind, some type of evangelistic effort. And uh, by and large, skeptics don't give a shit. So <laughs> I don't I, I don't care if I uh, convince anyone or not. Now, I, I that's a little bit tongue in cheek because I I do have a certain power of persuasion. I'm not trying to uh, create some sense of false modesty. Um, and, and it's good to know that that is active, but that's not necessarily my goal, right? So, um, if the only thing someone gets out of a, a show that I'm on is a couple of hours worth of good entertainment where they didn't kill anybody, <laughs> then great. <laughs> um, that's, that's a benefit to the world. If it helps them think a little bit better you know, about something then that they haven't thought about well before, then great. But if it's a Christian who doesn't become an atheist because they listen to my podcast, I don't care. <laughs> uh, and, and likewise, if it's a Christian who does become an atheist because of my podcast, I equally don't care. And so I, I, I think that there can be a mismatch of, of uh, expectation this, this expectational debt, if a Christian brings to the table this this thing that is, you know, worth so much to them, the saving of a soul, and the other person brings to the table uh, a good way to kill two hours, uh, you you already have a kind of a an imbalance that's probably going to play itself out in a in a negative way down the road. Gotcha. Yeah. I think I think there's some truth. So like, it's a lesson I had to learn from the Christian side is that I think sometimes, yes, we hope and we we pray and stuff like that, that our words will be edifying and, you know, save help to save a soul and stuff like that. But one thing that I had to learn on my end, engaging with atheists, especially David here is you have to be content even if that doesn't happen like we we are supposed to have faith in god and and there can be other goals that are worthwhile and and edifying um you know even just okay i'm learning something new or i'm i'm strengthening my own faith or something like that the, these are also worthwhile goals um even if you don't ever achieve the um the ultimate goal kind of thing you can be content with that and and you've played into God's ultimate plan and stuff. So I think there's a lesson there that there can be multiple goals. Maybe you achieve some and and maybe you don't achieve others. You just try your best. Um, one thing, one thing I would like to ask you, David, is you obviously have your own, your own podcast, Skeptics and Seekers, a, mm -hmm. uh, Sunday Sermon, I think it's called now, mm -hmm. and Red Letters, right? So what what is your goal as an atheist what what exactly is is your goal with these things is it just to provide entertainment is there some kind of message or what are you doing i appreciate the question because that's exactly where i was going to go um next because even though i say by and large i don't give a shit it's not that i don't have goals it's not like i'm unmotivated just some mindless molecule 
doing things. Oh, here's a microphone. I think I'll turn it on in podcast. Sorry. Um, it's, it's not quite that unfocused uh, either. So I definitely have goals and I think it's fair to uh, talk about my goals. In fact, I do talk about my goals periodically and I think some people um, gloss over it because I say it in a kind of a funny and polemical way. I'm deadly serious. When Christians talk, atheists win. I want as many Christians on my shows and on my boards as possible. If you're a Christian and you want a platform to talk about things, come to 4S, baby. Skeptics and Seekers at gmail.com. You are on the show. <laughs> we'll put you on the next show because um, I'm sure you're a nice person and I would love to raise a, a, a drink with you, even though I don't drink. Uh, we, we can be good friends. But understand philosophically that I do not want Christian to win. In fact, I want Christian to uh, Christianity to, um, if not die out, to become so marginalized that it has no more impact on future generations. And so this is my goal. This is my ulterior motive. I want to give you, if you're especially if you have a strong argument, I want to give you the best biggest platform. I want to give you the loudest megaphone. I want you to make your best case because the Christian's best case creates atheists, I believe. And now this is a bet that I'm making and I could be wrong. I could lose the bet. I could give platforms to Christians and it creates more Christians than atheists, right? I'm willing to take that chance. Because I believe that when Christians talk and really talk about what they really believe and, and people really get a chance to hear that and evaluate that, it hurts Christianity and helps secularism. And that's what I'm all about. Okay, so, so that's really interesting. I'm, I'm glad that you, you mentioned that as your goal because that was something I was going to bring up next. And I, I think it's important when it comes to goals, there's this interesting question of, in terms of the, having the conversation with atheists, are there are there some goals that are not conducive or worth it to engage in? Right. So, um, for example, I, I would say obviously your your goal of you know Christianity losing is not something that I would want to foster in any way. It's a it's a bad goal from the Christian standpoint. So right, but you disagree with the premise. You believe that when Christians talk, Christians win. So. In that sense, it's a fair contest that's worth engaging with. Yeah, so so that's it, right? We can have conf conflicting goals and stuff like that. But what what the issue that I'm trying to get to is: is there ever a point um, whereby we think that it's not worth engaging because we're not fulfilling the proper goals, but and we're just serving the the other goal? It, you know, the Bible does give Christians leave to look. If you're not getting anywhere, shake the dust off your sandals and move on to the next town so i'm just wondering about your take do you do you think as an atheist there's ever a point where it's look this this isn't serving the proper goal yes i'm just yeah okay all the time um so uh, i think maybe one of the best examples uh i can come up with uh when a show is not worth doing uh and the conversation is not worth having in fact it doesn't advance the big C conversation. I might talk a little bit 
about what I mean by conversation here. But I think if you've got two people that are hopelessly, where one is hopelessly outmatched by the other, uh, and there's there's no redeeming quality to, to have that conversation, then it's it's not a conversation worth having. You know, I wouldn't I wouldn't bring on a ten year old who happens to be a baptized believer to have a a conversation about Christianity with. I it just wouldn't do it. It 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 wouldn't be worthwhile. It would be, in fact, uh, I think a little bit vicious. Um, if there's someone who is clearly, clearly not up to the task of conversation at this level, even if they're not 10 years old, but they're, they're clearly not there. Uh, I think that conversation is not worth having. You're just, you're punching below your weight. Uh, and there's, there's nothing to gain there. There's only gain if you punch equal to, or even above your weight, <laughs> uh, there's no gain in punching below your weight. Gotcha. Yeah. And no, I, like I said, I, I definitely agree. Like it's, it's important to be discerning, right? Like, with, especially if we're going to be having a conversation and stuff like that, that it should be at least an equal opportunity for it to be mutually beneficial and, and stuff like that. And, and consider the other's goals and stuff like that. In the case where we do have contradictory ones you, you have to be discerning and, and okay maybe we reach the point where okay this isn't the proper place or something like that or maybe it's time for a different type of conversation or something like that change your strategy don't what's the saying uh david uh, stupidity is doing the same thing over and over again or, or something like that or something like that gotcha close enough doing, but, doing the same thing and expecting different results there we go there we go all right cool um so yeah that, that's kind of my that was kind of my first point because I, that was something we learned from the experience is that uh, when I was the co-host of SNS, a lot of most of the skeptics in the audience had a radically different goal in terms of myself and listening to the show and, and stuff like that. So I think that was an important point to kind of discuss is the starting point. But I'll turn it to you to like, do you what's your first point that you kind of want to discuss here? So. Uh not a part of my notes actually, but uh, a continuation uh, of this thought. Um, I've, I've forgotten what it, what it was now, <laughs> just between the time it took for me to introduce the idea. It was profound. Don't worry about it. Um, it'll, it'll come back uh, to me. Oh, I know what it is. Um, it's something that we've uh, talked about off camera a lot. Um, and I see this in debates uh, a lot. I think it's a mistake. And uh, I don't know that you and I have any real agreement uh, on this even now. But one of the things that I think uh, Christians do wrong when they do uh, podcasts, uh, videos, shows, I don't even know what, what to call them these days, broadcasts, um, is they are not always, but seems like more often than not, talking to their interlocutor on the show with a kind of an evangelistic 
Zeal. You are presenting your message to me as if you care what I think about your message. And I think that's a mistake. I mean, I, on, on the one hand, we're talking to each other, you know, we're, we're, we're the ones in the arena, we're moving the conversation along. But on the other hand, we are avatars that represent broader groups that don't have microphones and platforms. So I'm not talking to you as if what I want to do is make you change your mind as if I'm arrogant enough to think that I'm going to, uh, you know, change your mind and move you from Christianity to skepticism. You're not on the fence. You're not on the bubble. I'm not actually talking to you. I'm talking past you to the audience that you represent. You are an avatar for that audience. And so if I'm going to be effective, I have to communicate with your audience, the ones that where where my case really does matter. And what I wish I could get Christians to do is stop talking to the person that they're talking to and view that person more as an avatar to the audience behind them, right? Um, you're not talking to me. You're not trying to convince me. If you're trying to convince me, you're just a fool. Um, you should be trying. You should be trying to convince the people in my audience, not even the people in my audience that you argue with back and forth, but the, you know, that's 1% of the audience. You should be talking to the 99% of the audience that doesn't come on discussion boards uh, and, and have flame wars. That's the audience. And so these conversations that we're having facilitate our ability to talk to the real audience. And I think that the conversations would actually be better uh, if we, you know, both agreed, yes, we're avatars, we're in the arena, but we're fighting for the hearts and souls and minds of other people who don't have this opportunity to be on mic. I, um, okay, so I partially agree that when, when we're presenting our case and dialoguing in these things, we have to be mindful that it's not just me and you involved, there's an audience. And I think Jesus you know, gives examples of that in his communications with the Pharisees, right? He's not just communicating like a one-on-one -on -one with them. He's also communicating a large part for the edification of the audience listening in, in large part. However, I, I disagree with you fundamentally that, oh, well, we should just see each other as avatars and have this kind of, it's almost, it feels like insincere conversation with each other where we're supposed to be engaging with each other's points, but really we're just, all we care about is, you know, talking to those people out there. I, I think that at least initially, and I always try this, I, I was kind of proud of the fact when I was on Pine Creek Doug's show, one of the complaints that the atheists were giving is, or no, it wasn't Pine Creek Doug. It was, uh, might've been Robert Stanley or some other atheist or something. Mm -hmm. Oh no, it was T-Jump. And they they were saying, complaining about what you were, because I, I was trying to deal with, where is T-Jump? Let me see if I can persuade him and deal with where he's at and try to persuade him with reason and get him to change his mind. I, I think it, at least when we're starting out, we shouldn't assume the other party, oh, they're entrenched, they're hard-hearted, they, they've got their opinions and I can't change it. I, I think we should try to try to change it at least initially. And through that, that does speak to the audience because they see 
a real conversation, a real attempt. So, um, yeah, maybe the first time, but honestly, we're we're show hosts. We do shows, right? Um, we we allow people a window uh, into a broader conversation, and we have to have a broader conversation, and not just a conversation that suits the the two people on the mic. So, um, yes, it's a, it's a delicate balance. I know it sounds cold hearted when I say things like, yeah, we're, we're avatars and the real people we're talking to are, are not on the mic, but it's a balance, you know, because we have to have the conversation. The conversation does have to be real. We have to be able to listen, uh, to one another. We have to bounce off of, uh, you know, the other's ideas. We have to be able to interact, still man, do, do all kinds of things, uh, where we are acknowledging each other. It's just that the ultimate goal, the ultimate audience is the camera. That's why we have a camera on. That's why we have a microphone on. Um, it's not for, you know, I don't, I don't have my camera on for you to see me. Uh, I have my camera on for them to see me. I have my microphone on for them to hear my uh, arguments. And you are the the that which facilitates me getting that out there now i can i can make my arguments as a as soloist i i do red letters is a solo show 4s is not a solo show um and debates are not solo shows and um so you are definitely a part of how my argument gets shaped and how it goes out there but my argument is not mostly uh, for you, uh, it's, it's for the people behind you. We're just the fools on stage. Yeah. Okay. Well, and you, you and I talk all the time. We don't need to do this podcast to talk. If you really were interested in saving my soul, you can call me any day of the week and spend four hours making your best effort. Right. So if 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 really the only purpose you're talking to me is to save my soul, I would say that you're going about it wrong because <laughs> because there are way better ways to have way better access to me than this. You're talking to me in this format right now for other people, not simply me. We will talk after this is over, time permitting, and have probably a way deeper conversation than the one that we're going to have on the uh, mic today. Yeah, I, I think, like I said, I, I do agree with you that obviously we're mindful of others. Um, it's just kind of, especially as an as an initial thing, right? I, I do think that there does come a time where you that kind of stops. You realize nothing you say is going to um, impact the other person. Or in your case, specifically, you, you've told me you don't want me to evangelize, right? So I think God, the Bible tells us to respect your wishes. I'm not going to try to evangelize you and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, we, in that case, we turn to the audience and that's why we're doing this discussion and stuff like that. But at least in the beginning, I, I don't want to be so jaded as to just be like, I'm just going to assume everyone who's I'm engaging with is not interested in the truth, is not going to have um, a, you know, a meaningful conversation that we're just, talking avatars like uh, i can give the example jordan from 
reason to doubt on the Shroud of Tram. I think we had a great conversation because both of us were genuinely seriously considering, okay, are, are we right? Are we wrong? Let's consider what the other side has to say. It wasn't just, okay, I'm talking to the audience. He's talking to the audience and stuff like that. So that would be the only qualification is like, let's be discerning. Let's, let's wait before we make that judgment. Okay. But I, I would disagree with the notion that simply because I'm talking past you to the audience, it doesn't mean that I'm not having a sincere conversation with you. I am having a sincere conversation. I am considering your arguments, but you have to understand I've considered these arguments for the vast majority of my life. Right. So there's, it's very unlikely that you're going to bring up something so new that I haven't heard. And I've got to say, Oh, wait a minute, hang on. Maybe God is real. That's so if I, this is what I'm saying, if that's your goal, um, you know, you should, you should, your expectational debt is going to, uh, play you false uh, as it goes along. Uh, but I'm always listening. Uh, you know, that doesn't it, just because I have a broader audience in mind, it doesn't mean that I'm arguing disingenuously. Um, you know, you said something that could be easily misconstrued. I can I can always already see um, people typing their comments right now. Uh, I know it's I know it's going to happen. You equate it um, uh, people who care about the truth with people who care about your argument or believe your argument or the Christian argument. That is not the truth. That is your argument. We do care about the truth. Uh, and so we might be dismissive of something like the shroud. It doesn't mean that we're, that we don't care about the truth. We've considered it and we don't, don't think that applies. And so, um, yeah, I, 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 I try to argue with, uh, on these shows with as much, uh, intellectual integrity, uh, as possible. Uh, but that, I, I, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to break off of that path because that's yeah. on my list of things that, um, I, I think are negatives. And just, just so that people know if we refer to list, I, I made a quick list before the show. I listed uh, five things that I think both sides tend to do pretty well. Ten things that both sides do badly. Uh, and ten things that we need to do better uh, to have the conversation. Um, in, in fact, would you mind if I just read the top five uh, the, the list of things that I think we do well so that we can maybe um, find yeah. some points of agreement and Let's, have yeah. have a little bit of kumbaya before before the uh, chainsaws come out. Uh, yeah, so so let's let's do that. Let's uh, you let's look at the things that you think we do right, see where we agree. Then I, I have a second point that I'd like to discuss with you and then we can get into your things we do wrong type thing. So, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I won't spend too much time on these. I just want to go over this list, which I know that will already be controversial to, to some, but I think that the first thing that both sides tip do generally, right. Uh, both sides of the conversation is that we care enough to try to have the conversation. Uh, and, 
even though we may be bad at it, we get back up and we keep trying. So you have to care enough about some kind of goal to subject yourself to what we subject ourselves to. <laughs> so, um, and I kind of think that, you know, the goal is noble. In fact, I would say that maybe the goal is noble on both sides, even if I, even if I don't uh, much care for evangelism and I have a lot of really bad things to say about the evangelistic spirit. I, I still think that it comes from a good place um, for most people. I think that we have goals strong enough that keep us trying. And if when we stop trying to communicate, we devolve into war uh, and society breaks down. So, uh, you know, one of the ways to stave off war and hostility is to communicate better. Uh, the second thing, um, I'll be faster. We challenge ourselves to stay up to date uh, and bring new ideas to the table. I know this is true for uh, both you and I. Um, you know, we're, we're by and large arguing about 2,000-year-old uh, issues. It's really hard to come up with a new take on a 2,000-year-old issue. Uh, or a new argument that no one has heard, but we are, we're challenging ourselves constantly to do that and keep abreast of the, the latest stuff. And I, I think that's true of uh, people generally here. I think that's a good thing. Uh, both sides, this is a controversial one even for me, uh, both sides read oppositional sources to understand the other side. I would say those who do the conversation best uh, do that. Uh, I do that all the time. I, I think that you do that. I think I, I, so I'll just, again, kind of stave off the comments that I know are coming. I, I actually honestly do believe, and I've said this many times that skeptics do a better job at reading, uh, oppositional, uh, things than, uh, Christians because we don't really have anything in our worldview or I ideology to not read information, even stuff that we disagree with. You know, if, if the devil wrote a book, we'd read that. Uh, wouldn't have a problem. Uh, if God wrote a book, we'd read that. Um, and I think that with Christians, there is a more natural built-in hesitancy and uh, worry, almost fear about reading things that might seem either demonic or or um against uh their understanding of the bible but i think that the people who do the conversation well uh uh and there there are many in the conversation that do uh read um opposition sources by opposition sources i mean sources that come from the other side or that um you know are do not favor or criticize your your own position um Two more. Uh, we uh, have comments open uh, for, so that the broader community can participate. Now, you can talk about moderation strategies and all that. I don't care. That's that's secondary. Uh, there are many people in the conversation who uh, I will not name, but who don't leave their comments open because they don't want to hear it. 
they don't want to hear it. They don't have time for it. They don't want uh, the feedback from commoners. And so it's a, it's a closed one-way conversation. And I think that people who do the conversation well are people who are doing their best to keep the conversation as open and broad as possible. And then the last thing I think that uh, both sides generally do well is uh, that we challenge even those on our own side when necessary. Uh, so we're not just um, surrounded by yes people. And if we are, uh, we will be the ones to, to break that up by challenging some of their ideas. I'm not afraid of arguing with someone who's on my side. Um, I, I think that's healthy and it should be done. Again, I think that skeptics are more likely to have uh, public uh, disagreements than Christians, not because Christians don't disagree, they disagree on everything. Um, but there, there's this sense that if we are showing public disagreement, then it, it weakens the greater cause. So sometimes that gets a little bit frustrating, but I think that those who do it well, uh, and for the record, I think that you are uh, one of the better people at this, uh, have no fear of disagreeing with the person on our own side of the fence uh, when what we're after is, uh, you know, seeking truth in whatever the thing is we're talking about. So I, I put those things out there as things that I think that both sides generally do well, and uh, certainly they're things that uh, we could stand to improve on even further. Okay. Okay. So, yeah, I think in terms of your five points here, obviously I, I agree with the, the first thing you said, right? That that's was my whole point by bringing up the goal. So obviously our goals are something that we care about and the people uh, are uh, things that we care about. People are image bearers of gods. They're, they're, you know, not a means to an ends. They are an ends themselves. So yeah, you know, I, I, I'm commanded to love all my enemies and that mean that entails that I care about them and their well-being and that we're always willing to try um you know I, I think in first Corinthians 13 you know love towards your enemies love bears all things believes all things bears all things perseveres all things and stuff like that and I was researching what that means in more detail and stuff and we're, we're always wanting the best even for our enemies we we don't take delight in them being ignorant about certain spiritual truths or, you know, or sinning and stuff like that. And we want the best for them. So I, I fully agree with this point. This is something that's necessary. It's commanded on the Christian side. And I think in general, this is a good principle to have good conversations, regardless of whether it's Muslim and Jew or Christian and atheist or you know, whatever, Hindu and Buddhist, it doesn't matter. So I agree with this point. Um, we challenge ourselves to stay up to date and to bring new ideas. Um, yeah, so I, so I fully agree with this. This is a part of my real seeker criteria, right? And unless you have 100% knowledge, you should always be open and take the initiative to do a little bit of research and keep yourself up to date. Uh, have there been any changes? There are updates in the evidence. One thing I would qualify here because I've received a lot of heat from from skeptics, um, including you, David, whereby 
my real secret criteria is kind of misunderstood here. It's it's almost like you think I'm arguing that, well, you have to be to my level. You have to be some scholar or an intellectual elite. And that's that's not the case at all. I, I think, look, people are different. They have different levels of knowledge bases, intelligence or wisdom and stuff like that. So all we need to do is be willing to do our best. And I, I think that in terms of the conversation, it at least for me, um, if I see someone is putting in the effort and really trying their best, that's good. Okay, if, if I'm smarter than that person, then it's on me to help that person because they're doing their best. I'm going to do everything I can to uh, bring them up to my level or vice versa. If I'm the dumb one, I would hope that someone like William Lane Craig or um, um, I'm trying to think of an atheist, atheist philosopher, A.C. Grayling, um, I would hope that he would take the time to kind of, okay, explain things and stuff like that. So it's, I think that the key here for conversation's sake is that we're doing our best to stay up to date and be open. And that's good enough for there to be a good conversation. <coughs> what, are you, what are your thoughts on, on that qualification? Yeah, I, um, I was willing to let that go. <laughs> um, Did I say something I, wrong or? Sorry. I, well, look, it's it's our uh, ancient squabble about real secret qualifications. You're not in any position to judge whether someone's doing their best. I mean, their their best according to whom, according to what. Furthermore, I'm not. I don't even know that we should put the pressure on people to say, well, you should be doing your absolute best, you know, because I was an athlete. I know what your best is, you know, leave nothing on the table. You should have to be carried off the mat <laughs> because you've left all of your energy on the field uh, kind of thing. No, I don't think that's, I don't actually think that's the case. Um, we, we are fully human beings with lots of things going on in our lives and you know people only have so much time in a day to research some bit of esoterica before they have to pick their kids up at school and try not to be uh late from work and deal with the speeding ticket uh and the court date that they've got to do there and so i mean the idea that you know i would be able to judge what someone's best effort is um I, I think is way beyond me. And I, I think it's uh, beyond anyone else to judge me looking outside and, you know, passing that kind of judgment in my life as to whether I was doing my best or even putting up a reasonable effort. So if it's not your best, what is, what is a reasonable effort? Once again, I can't judge that. Okay. Okay. Well, the other thing I, I want to combine points three and five, because one thing that you said, you you said you made an observation about these points. So, I, so in the first place, I I agree with the points in principle. Yes, of course, these are, these would be helpful. Um, but you kind of said that you have observed that skeptics fulfill these better than Christians. And I'll just be frank, that is the exact opposite of my my observations. I I do believe that skeptics engage online. Skeptics engage in far more tribalism than. I've seen of, of Christians, uh, at least in my experience of like, uh, of, you know, online comment boards and stuff like that. And I, I found that there's a, a resistance to 
reading opposition sources. So, yeah, I don't know how to... It, this is obviously like an impasse. We have these contradictory observations. Maybe there's bias or something, but like, how, I don't know. Like, how, how do you account for this? Because it, it, as honestly as I can say, I think it's the opposite. Well, let's take um, Real Seeker and 4S off the board for a moment. Uh -huh. uh, and I'll just say that my experience with other uh, discussion boards uh, where religion is the, the primary topic um the uh skeptics or atheists seem to be very well read and when christians post sources the skeptics will read them and comment on those on what those sources say whereas when skeptics post sources uh christians will often not even watch the video uh, and they'll just comment or not even read the article and just uh, comment and I think there's, you know, just as one of those one of those things in conversation that kind of pissed me off personally and puts me on my back foot is a person who posts a lot of sources and videos and articles, but doesn't read the sources and videos and articles that other people post. Uh, you know, screw that guy. <laughs> I don't. They 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 almost don't get to participate in the conversation at an equal level as far as I'm concerned, uh, because I don't know what they're doing. They, they seem to have some other motive that's very disingenuous. And I, I, so for me, just my experience on the internet and on boards specifically like this, uh, skeptics seem to be very well read up and they are happy to read up on uh, sources that the the opposition puts there. Now, one of the one of the reasons and I'll just I'll just try to throw a bone here. Uh, a lot of us skeptics were Christians, so we already read it, right? We've we've read your Bible. Um, we have read the books. You know, we've we've got the books on our bookshelves, so we 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 know it. We've read that article, um, and. A lot of Christians have never been atheists, so they haven't read the stuff um, that would that would um, counter their ideas, and so that that might feed into it a little bit. But yeah, I'm I'm just speaking based on my observations. I don't I, I expect that others might have different observations. Be interested uh, interesting in the comments to see what observations um, the listeners bring to that. Yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, just because people can see things so so differently and, and stuff like that. So I I just was kind of wondering, like, is it bias? Am I biased? Are you biased? Or both of us biased and stuff like that? But one thing that I like, so focusing on kind of engaging in the conversation on comment boards and stuff like that. That's I remember there was one difference. You you kind of hinted at this thing whereby you think Christians cite like link to a video or something like that as a way to evade the conversation. I remember you once yeah. kind of said that, look, put it, put it in your own words. I don't, don't link to something. And I, I remember, so, so in the first place, I would say that atheists do that just as much as Christians. I myself do that as well, but I, I think that it's helpful not to evade the conversation, but 
maybe a source will say something um, better than I could in my own words, or I think that they provide depth and then we could come back to the conversation. So I actually think that linking to like a helpful video or something like that actually aids conversation. But I, I know that you kind of see, no, that's more of a, a detriment. Um, yeah. No, I don't, I, I wouldn't put it that way. So I, I like when, uh, commenters bring articles and videos and, and uh, things like that to the table. Uh, I, I'd like for uh, a discussion board to be flooded with sources and interesting things to to consume. So uh, I, I very much uh, appreciate that. What I don't appreciate is um, non-contextual linking so sometimes what happened by the way i i don't appreciate this no matter which side does it so this isn't a matter of christians versus skeptics uh you know i i've probably seen more christians do it than skeptics and i i would have probably been more likely to comment on on them doing it uh but there was an example uh on the unbelievable board sometimes uh you know, a Christian would post a link to an article. And uh, I would take the time to read the article. And I would also take the time to uh, make a, uh, what I would consider a thoughtful and somewhat lengthy response uh, to that article, only to have the person come back and say, oh, well, I, I, uh, I wasn't suggesting that I agreed with that part. And I'm like, okay, well, you know what? You presented the damn article as, as a stand in for your argument that you weren't doing so well with here. I respected that. I accepted that this was someone who was speaking for you in a, in a way that you agreed with and it made it put it better. And now that I responded, you're distancing yourself from the article that you posted. So you have just wasted my time. Uh, so instead, if you're going to include an article uh, or a video, say what it is in that article or video that you uh, are, are trying to say that says it better so that people can understand. And by the way, if there's something particularly in there that you disagree with, say that as well. By the way, he talks about such and such. I disagree with his views on that or I disagree with her opinion there but this is the thing that i want you to notice and observe in this video do that and then it's a contextual video or article but don't just throw it out there uh, and then when someone has defeated a point in the article you just hide behind the well uh, i didn't say it. that was them i didn't i, I never said that i agreed with that yeah yeah I, I will fully back up what you said kind of thing um about this. Yeah, I think that would be a good thing to help in conversations. At the very least, I don't think you have to list everything you disagree with, because, but put into context, look, this is the part of the article. I'm sending you this link because this is the part I agree with. I think they say it better. Give the, the person you're interacting with, regardless of whether it's atheist or Christian or whatever, some kind of context, and then reward that. If they actually take the time to look at that, source then reward that and say look you put in the work so 
I'm going to put in some effort into this conversation as well and, and engage with you. So if you're using like linking to a source or something like that as a way to evade or distract because, oh, I don't have an answer. So here, go check out this, leave me alone. That's not, that's not a good conversation. That's not conducive to, to that. So I do support you on that. I think that's something we could do better on on both sides, frankly, you know, reward the person who puts in the effort to look at your links and comment on it. So, all right, cool. All right, well, that's it in terms of your five points. So I guess I'll switch to my second point, um, major point here. And it's something I, I've done entire shows on, but it's something that drives me crazy when I'm conversing with atheists, because uh, I, I just think that atheists are notoriously bad at it. I, I don't know if they're doing it on purpose or not. Sometimes it feels that way, but it's the issue of burden of proof, proper methodology and keeping track of, okay, who's claiming what? Um, and look, let's adopt that burden of proof. You know, I, for, for me myself, I'm fully happy to go, okay, I'm making a positive claim here. I'm going to identify it. Um, and I bear the burden of proof. So I've got to prove that kind of thing. But when an atheist makes a claim, they have to bear that burden of proof. Don't try to shift it or like, oh, well, you know, wait for him to say something and then make it sound like he's making a claim. Um, we need to keep track of this, you know, who's claiming what, and let's try our best to meet our burden of proof, never to shift it. So, yeah, what, what's your take on the burden of proof? Because this is something that's got me ripping out my hair a lot with in my conversations. I agree. Sounds good. Sounds good. Yeah. So if if you would if you would like uh, some more on that agreement, I will I will just say I think one of the few things that uh, formal debate gets right, uh, at least most of the time, I think, is uh, understanding the burden of proof and putting it up front. This is a proposition. This is the person making the proposition. Therefore, that person has the burden of proof. This person is. Uh, countering that proposition or this person has another proposition we have two propositions that we're debating it i think it's a little bit clearer in in formalized structures who is making a claim and then just who is responding to that claim and if there's you know if your counterclaim is itself a claim that can be understood up front um as well so i think i think there isn't a lot good that I have to say about formalized debates, but I would say that I think formal debates handle burden of proof a little bit better. And informal debates, we often don't get to squabbling about burden of proof until after the conversation is broken down. And so it would be very useful if up front, if we know that we're about to engage in a conversation on the board, if you have a claim, just say, I have a claim. Uh, and I don't mind having the burden of proof here. The problem is conversations are organic. So maybe two people start talking about something online and it's pretty clear who has the burden of proof at that point, but the conversation gets broader and two more people join and two more people join. And before you know it, you're making, um, you know, responses to other people's claims. And then it's very confusing who has the original claim to to be proven. Uh, and then it just becomes a, no, you have the burden of proof. No, you have the burden of proof. No, you have, and that's not useful. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, you know, because I do think that not everyone in a conversation has a burden of proof. Uh, one of one of the ways that a person doesn't have a burden of proof is, let's say, person A has a proposition. Uh, I think the sky is a particularly beautiful shade of blue. Now, maybe that's not a you know a claim that requires proving, but let's just say it is for um, the sake of this bad example. Person B says, "Hmm, I don't think it is." Yeah, I don't. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that requires no proof, right? You're just, you're just responding to the claim. Claim A has to prove uh, that the sky is a particularly beautiful shade of blue. Claimant B, person B, can say anything they want to in that conversation without acquiring an original uh, top-level burden of proof. Now, somewhere along in that mess of things, Claimant B might say something that's a that's a you know a fact claim, and then person A says, "Well, you have the burden of proof now." And maybe that's true at a sub level, but at the top level of the conversation, person B doesn't have the burden of proof. Exactly. Yeah, and one thing just to have like a practical illustration, this is something that I think David and I did well because it, it, on when we were uh, both co-hosts on skeptics and seekers um in the first season this was an issue that kept coming up and, and stuff like that so for the second season we kind of worked out a system for each show we would state on the blogs up in front okay here here are our presuppositions here are just statements of opinion and here are the claims you know whoever was sometimes both of us made a claim sometimes there's just one but we would state it, look, okay, here's where we have a burden of proof. And that should clarify for the audience kind of thing. So I thought that was a really good solution that made it clear for everybody and stuff like that. So Yeah, it, it was a good solution. I didn't appreciate it uh, at the time as much as I uh, came to appreciate it later. But it's, I think it would help clear up some of the finger pointing um, of who has the burden of proof. Now, that said, that's not going to clear it all up. Because uh, I'm, I'm going to, at risk of undoing every good thing I just said, <laughs> uh, I will say that in the Christian atheist debate, the Christian always has the burden of proof, and the atheist almost, almost never has the burden of proof. And I'm talking about the top level of, of claim here, because the top level of claim is always there's a God and you should obey him. That's, that's the top level of claim. The, the claim, sometimes you might be dealing with an atheist who says, there is no God, and uh, if there was, you should never obey him. That's generally not how it goes. And so I think no matter where the conversation goes, where it twists and turns, the top level of burden is always on the person making the top level claim. Um, and responses to that claim never quite rise to that position. And I think that gets very frustrating for Christians because they're always on the hook for a claim, no matter what. The Christian is always on the hook for a claim because the Christian is the one who's making the top level claim. And they're the one who is telling the atheist that you need to listen to me and change your ways. So that's always the stronger, greater, more burdenous claim to make. Uh, but I do agree that for the sake of better conversations, 
we atheists can do a better job in identifying our own claims and maybe not bristling too much when Christians point out, well, it sounds like you're making a claim there and maybe, you know, be more sensitive to top level claims versus secondary and subsidiary claims that may not uh, require as much of a burden. Okay. Yeah. So I'm trying to be um, as charitable as possible, but I, I definitely disagree with this notion of, oh, well, it's always the Christian who has the burden of proof inherently because inherently they claim God exists or something like that. Um, no, it's it, look, the way it works is whoever makes a claim, whatever level it is, they have the burden of proof. Now, yes, there may be certain claims that serve as presuppositions in the sake of a conversation, right? Like, obviously, we we can't prove everything, right? Like, uh, you know, I can't prove, uh, no, for conversation's sake, if we're debating, the you were talking about the color of the sky, right? Mm. Okay, well, there are certain claims that are presupposed, higher level claims, oh, well, our senses are reliable, they give mm. us accurate, we don't need to debate all of that for the sake of that conversation necessarily, um, kind of thing, unless that comes up. If that becomes a controversial aspect in the debate itself, then we, then we would have to, okay, well, this is based upon this more foundational claim. Okay, you're claiming this, you have this burden of proof type thing. But in the sake of conversations, we do take have to take shortcuts um, and stuff like that, whereby there's common agreement and stuff, right? Like it, it wouldn't make sense like, okay, well, we're debating the color of the sky, but for you to say it's this shade of blue, I have to first prove that our senses are reliable and how our eyeballs work and stuff like that. Look, we already agree on that. So we can take that for granted and just start the debate here kind of thing, right? It's Yeah, I think that's a valid point. And I think that conversation could go in a way where both sides would need to make a claim, that, that both sides are making a top-level claim, in fact. So uh, top-level claim, this is the most beautiful shade of blue. Uh, a an equally top-level rebuttal claim would be, I don't believe our senses are capable of making that kind of distinction. Mm -hmm. Now, suddenly, both of these are top-level claims. Because even if I can prove that that is not the most beautiful shade of blue, I still have to prove that our senses are incapable of making that kind of distinction. Uh, and so we have um we we both equally have claims in in that argument that have to be addressed um so sometimes the conversation is structured where both sides have top level claims that have to be addressed um, I, I i just think generically speaking there is a top level claim already out there that starts the discussion in the first place uh because without that claim there's no conversation yeah i i think that that's that's obviously true i'm in a i take a foundationalist perspective so yeah our beliefs are based on foundational ones until we get to basic ones and stuff like that and all these things we need to be warranted in believing if we're saying we believe it's probably true or something like that 
So like, yeah, for, for the sake of conversation, let's say me and you, we, we've already got this foundational belief that our senses are reliable. We don't, I don't need to, for the sake of conversation, I don't need to prove that our senses are reliable. You've already given that to me. It's just a debate about uh, it's the shade of blue or not. But if a third person comes in and they don't even have to make a contrary claim, if they just say, well, I don't, how, how do you prove that your senses are reliable? If they you know, maybe there's this defeater or something like that. How do you respond to that? Then it would be on us to establish that claim for that third person because they they don't accept that claim. We can't take that shortcut and assume. So that's how I would kind of see it working in terms of the burden of proof. Agreed. And I, um, I think we have to be willing to accept the other's claim position. Uh, this is hard. I, and again, I think it's harder for the Christian than the atheist, maybe a little unfairly so, because as I said, I think the Christian is almost always in the position of making the top level claim. But if you are talking to someone, uh, I'll give you an example. Peter, um, uh, who uh, has the rainbow icon uh, on the board, if you're talking to Peter, Peter will often say something that... Um, many of us find infuriating, which is, I'm not making a claim. I'm, I'm just telling you, uh, I'm just giving you my uh, understanding of this and, and sharing uh, my ideas about it, but I'm not, I'm not trying to persuade anyone. Um, this, is, this is just what I think. And so it's very hard then to follow up with that conversation and accept that Peter doesn't have a burden of proof, but he actually doesn't have a burden of proof, right? <laughs> right? Yeah. Because he has said up front, I'm not trying to convince you of anything. This is just how I understand it. I might be right. I might be wrong. This is my understanding. I'm sharing it. Uh, uh, and no matter how much you then want to take some of the positive things he says and say, well, that's a claim and you have to prove it. No, he doesn't. <laughs> Because so, that's not the conversation he's having. That may be the conversation that you're having. That's the one that you want to have. But he is not required to prove anything, especially if he says, I'm just telling you uh, the stuff in my head uh, and I'm not trying to make a uh, positive claim one way or the other uh, of, of a fact statement. One And one thing I'll just very quickly um, piggyback on to nuance that a bit is in in some ways he is making a claim now he's not making a claim for the sake of conversation right for yeah. for that purposes he's set up look these are just statements of opinion statements of beliefs i'm not making a claim i don't have a burden of proof that's cool for the sake of conversation but epistemically speaking he if you believe something you do have a duty to be warranted in whatever way right through the evidence or whatever if you take a pragmatic view you know of epistemology something like that he's got to be warranted on a balance of probabilities before he believes that so we could say if he does if he's got nothing and yet he believes something he's epistemically at fault even if for the sake of conversation we can just say okay whatever you've told us you're not making a claim so i'm not going to ask you for your reasons but so like there is that difference i would say yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. But, you know, since I called Peter out here, I would say that Peter absolutely has epistemic warrant for everything he believes. Uh, he's not he's not just putting things out there. So he he does meet his epistemic burden for himself. 
The conversational burden of proof, though, is the only yeah. thing that I am referring to. So he has to decide within himself whether he's epistemically warranted. He has, and I believe him. But if he starts a conversation or he joins a conversation by saying, look, I, uh, I'm, I'm not a great debater and I don't think I can persuade you, but I can just tell you what I believe about this. That's that's he has no burden, no conversational burden of proof. And we can't make him have one simply because that's the conversation we want to have. I fully, fully agree. You're you're absolutely right. And obviously this show is on the conversation. So you're more in the right. I just want to people to understand that distinction between the epistemic duty versus that. But yeah, cool. Well, well, that's my second point. So I know that you've got a, a list in your second round, things that we don't do well. So yeah, so let me just give that entire list. Um, we don't have to touch on all of these. I'll just try to run through it. It would have been so nice if I had numbered these <laughs> instead of bullet pointed them. I'll tell, I'll tell you for the audience, I, I will number them because I have his list and I'll, I'll post it up on my blog. So, you know, as you listen to the show, you can look at it and stuff. Yeah, bullet points on a long list, especially when the whole list doesn't fit on the screen, uh, as mine don't because I have a very big print on my list. So you're thinking, okay, is that the fourth thing or the fifth thing? Did I already go over that? Let me scroll up. No, that doesn't help. So you, you've just lost. It's, it's a terrible way to go. Numbers. Not bullet points. <laughs> Don't be like David. Um, so here we go. Um, in, in fact, I'm going to come back to at least this first one, but I'll, I'll just try to read these out. Uh, we don't know how to listen. Uh, we take offense uh, at too many things too easily. Uh, we get caught up in uh, our own echo chambers. Uh, we're too quick to uh, ridicule ideas that challenge our, um, our our prior understandings. Uh, I said priorities here. They should be prior. So if you're in that list. Um, we have trouble uh, separating the person from the opinion. That's another one I want to come back to. Um, we try to force our uh, interlocutor to speak our language when making their arguments rather than uh, letting them uh, be themselves. Might come back to that a little bit for some clarification. Um, we often don't have healthy conversational agendas. We've talked about that one a little bit. Um, we fail to get and give definitional clarity and therefore end up speaking past one another. Uh, we're not comfortable admitting ignorance and we care more about winning than learning. So this is um, a generic list. And rather than just go back and touch on the two or three that I think really need more clarification, let me just ask you, what would you like me to touch on in this list? Okay, um, so things that do wrong in general, we don't know how to listen. Yeah, I think that is a problem in a lot of conversations. Um, take offense at too many things, at too many things too easily. Um, okay, well, yeah, what, what's your take on uh, taking offense at too many things too easily? Be, yeah. Yeah, so um, 
this is something that both sides have trouble with. I um, I don't know what the solution is because we are humans and part of you know the human emotional structure is that when offensive things are said, we take offense. You know that means that your system is working correctly. <laughs> so, um, so you know how we how we then uh, react to that is maybe something that we can do better. But we do take offense. Here's the problem: if you are a um, let's say you're a survivor of Auschwitz, and you're going to have a conversation with someone who thinks that uh, the Holocaust didn't happen. Or, or worse yet, uh, someone who thinks that the Holocaust was justified. You have to determine before you go into that conversation that you're going to keep your offense reaction in check for the sake of having a conversation. And if you can't do that, you shouldn't have the conversation. Because obviously, everything the other person says is going to be offensive. Uh, and I think in the conversation uh, with Christians and atheists, there's so much that the other obviously says and feels that's going to be offensive. I think your God is a goddamn asshole who should burn in the hell that he created. That's what I think. And what you hear is me saying your wife is ugly. There's no way for you not to hear that. I understand that. But you have to determine not to take offense to that any more than I have to determine not to take offense to the fact that you think that I am some kind of sinner worthy of eternal damnation. Um, we know these positions going in. And so if we're going to have a conversation, we have to figure out beforehand how not to take offense to some of the basic premises of the conversation itself. So, so I, I partially agree here in terms of, yeah, people on both sides are get way too offended by things that they shouldn't kind of thing. And obviously we, we have specific examples, but when you're, I think I agree with what David's saying is when you're having, engaging with a conversation, you know that you're engaging with an interlocutor who has sincere beliefs that you may find objectionable and offensive but you are choosing to be engaged in the conversation. So you have, you have to check yourself, right? Just I'm, I'm choosing to engage in a conversation with David right now. And okay, he brings up an example about the morality of God, right? Well, if I'm choosing to put myself in that conversation for whatever goal I have, I have to understand he's going to be saying stuff that I don't like about God. He's going to be judging God and saying, well, I find this to be immoral. And and stuff like that um you need to be okay with that you need to be able to engage with that and not get offended now there is one thing here's where i partially disagree because look at the way that there's an onus on you as well to to be understanding and considerate of the other person's sincere beliefs and the offense that they're they're holding right so i mean you you just came off swearing gd and and stuff like that you, you kind of the way you put your your objections was almost purposefully in the most inflammatory way. It's almost as a provocation rather than just you saying, hey, I, I honestly believe this is this is wholly immoral. You're, how could your God do this and stuff like that? It, it wasn't conducive to the conversation. It was more, let me poke, poke you and provoke you. Your God's a, a GD arsehole or whatever, right? So do, do you see a difference there? Like there I do see a difference, and I see where, why you would, uh, have that difference. This is a conversation we've kind of had 
in the past too. So I, I, I recognize that and I see you, you are fully seen. Uh, I just happen to disagree because the thing is, um, I am a polemicist, right? This is not, this is not new <laughs> to anybody. Uh, you know, there are people in the audience who don't know you, like someone's asking okay. if you're an atheist. So yes, David right. is yeah right but so people people can get to know you and they have the ability to you know the audience members have the ability to stop listening anytime they want to right um they're they're free to do that and hopefully you know i can engage more audience members and the people that i turn off and if i turn off audience members then you win you know <laughs> that's uh you know so i i'm i'm willing to take that risk but i am a polemicist this is what i am i speak in this language to make a certain kind of a point of, of a point that has a certain kind of emotional impact so that's what i do and i'm not sorry about that uh because that is that is what i do well and you also know that about me so you can choose to have that conversation with me or not knowing that i'm going to speak the language that I speak, and I and you're going to speak the language that you speak, which which some find offensive for different reasons and in different ways. But that's that's a part of it, you know. Um, you know, there there are plenty of Christians out there who wouldn't have a conversation with me because they don't want to have a conversation with a with a fiery polemicist who's going to uh, take those. Uh, kinds of shots and that's that's their right i think that uh i think they should i think they would be stronger i think they could make better cases if they could learn how to talk to people like me because guess what i represent a huge chunk of the audience um so the people that are listening to your show they also think like me and so if you want to be able to communicate with them you need to be able to communicate with me um so you're you're kind of missing uh, a trick there. It's a little bit like, um, let's say there's a person with a particular kind of uh, communication impairment, and the only way they can communicate is by uh, cartoons and caricatures. You know, they draw quickly, and so that's that's the language that they speak. Uh, and so they're going to have a, a Muslim apologist is going to sit down and have a conversation with them about Allah. <laughs> That person is going to draw caricatures of Allah, and then they're going to get immediately beheaded. <laughs> so you can't, you can't say you can't draw caricatures of Allah to someone who speaks in caricatures. <laughs> well, let, let me follow up with with this because this is related, and this is an uh, an issue I've had in my interactions with some atheists and stuff. Right. So you mentioned there's this trouble. That people have separating the person from the opinion yes. uh, and i think what you mean by that is look you you guys will give these polemic polemical attacks against christians beliefs oh that's the stupidest you believe in hell oh that's the most immoral stupidest idea i've ever heard and a lot of times i i myself will take this is an insult this is you saying i'm immoral i'm stupid and stuff like that because yeah. they're I don't separate the if, if a belief that I believe I'm warranted in holding, I've taken the effort to seriously consider it and come to this opinion. And you say it's stupid. That is, that is you kind of saying I'm, I'm stupid because I've 
holding these stupid beliefs and stuff. So why, why do you think we should separate it or, or are there times where it's appropriate not to separate it? Like there are, there are these implications, right? So believe it or not, I wasn't even thinking about that direction. Okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, so I think that's a good one. So hold that so we can address it. But what I was thinking about uh, was when we hear someone state an opinion, and I'm just going to go all the way there uh, because there's no need of dancing around. Everybody knows who we are. Uh, with the Abraham test, uh, you uh, often get a bad rap for saying that you would kill your kid for Christ. Um, you know, this is shorthand. This is a longer conversation. So if, if anyone's new to this, uh, you know, talk to Dale in the comments. Um, but with something like that, what the skeptic hears is Dale is a bad person. Um, you know, D Dale is psychopathic because he would kill for Jesus. Um, right. And what we skeptics have seemingly an almost inability to do is to separate the idea of one should obey God even to the point of doing what many would say is an awful thing. It's separating that idea from Dale is an awful person. Uh, and, and I'm as guilty of that as anybody, which is why it's on the list. But, uh, but I, I really do think that we should be able to discuss the Abraham test and the implications of the Abraham test and any other biblical uh, issue that, that touches on theology, because we're, we're, theology and counter-theologist uh, uh, podcasts. Uh, we need to be able to talk to people who have those ideas without immediately seeing those people as bad idea, uh, bad people. Good people can have bad ideas. We all have bad ideas about things. And as we go through life, our ideas change. And sometimes they get really bad. And then over time, we realize, no, that's bad. We'll change that for the better. That does not speak to whether we are a good person or a bad person. And I hope that as a person, I am not judged by the worst idea I hold at any given moment. And so we need to be able to um, separate uh, the idea from the person. Now, one other, one other thing to go with is, you know, I... I have one or two friends <laughs> that I have conversations with and we can have conversations about, you know, things that we would never say on air. Andrew and I uh, talk about things we don't talk about on air and we try out certain ideas uh, with each other, things that have been detritus that's been sitting in our, in our heads, in our psyches for, you know, 20 years or so. And because we are friends because we have a relationship that goes beyond our ideology, when someone coughs up a bad idea, we can criticize that idea without confusing in our heads that this is suddenly a bad person because they have this thing that we consider a bad idea. When it's someone we don't know 
though, and we don't have that prior relationship with like people on the internet, the only thing we know about them is their ideas. And so we associate their idea with them as a person. And we don't separate that out the same way that we do with people that we have personal, uh, close personal relationships with. So that's, that's what I'm talking about there. Just a, a very quick follow-up and then I'll, I'll give my last, uh, last thing that I wanted to ask you about on your list before turning it to you to speak on the aspects you want to focus on. But, okay. So you, you kind of mentioned, uh, uh, part there or whatever, but one thing I wanted to ask about is, do you see a distinction about the nature of the stupid idea itself, right? So I, I've, I have noticed that, you know, if somebody calls my idea stupid about some random thing, like, oh, I don't know, I, I think that blue pens are the best or something like that, that's, uh, we don't, we can kind of separate the idea easier than when something is core to my, when you say my religious beliefs or my atheism is stupid, that's more core to the person. Do you, do you think maybe the nature of the idea plays a role in why it's hard to separate in these debates? Or Yeah, I think it plays a role in why it's hard to separate, but I don't think it plays a role in the belief that we need to separate them all the same. So the challenge is hard, uh, but this is why a lot of conversations uh, break down. Because if if you're entering a conversation and you're going to take offense to um, my challenge of the belief in God, then we start the conversation with offense. Because I'm going to challenge that, <laughs> right? So um, we have to learn to separate our own ideas from our own selves. You know, our myself, me, David Johnson is more than the collection of ideas I have in my head right now, because those things change all the time. Okay, fair enough. Um, there, we do have a question from the audience, Digital Hammurabi, um, and he's just kind of piggybacking here and saying, at what point does a person in this situation become a bad person? Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I don't know. If you knew some of the things that I have believed in my life at different points, you would say that I was a bad person. If you knew some of the things I believe right now that I haven't uh, shed, you would say that I was a bad person. So I don't know. I don't know what a good person versus a bad person even is. I think there's something kind of metaphysical uh, about that, that uh, idea that I don't necessarily hold to. I don't think that people are good or bad. I think that people are people and we can choose to find things in people that we like and relate to and and can expand our our social iq uh with or or and we can find things that we don't like about people that we would like to distance ourselves from so that they don't you know uh affect us in negative ways and that's that's a judgment call that we're making with every individual all the time um so i am not talking to you today because you're a good person and I did not talk to you yesterday because you were a bad person. Uh, and it, your ideas, I doubt, between yesterday and today, have I, I doubt they've changed, right? Um, and I don't know what all ideas you have since the last time we did a show together that have changed. But that also has no bearing on whether I find benefit uh, 
in uh, talking to you and having a relationship with you. So I don't even, I try not to think about whether a person is a good person or a bad person. I can talk about the things that they do, the effect that that person has on society in general, and I can make decisions about how close of a relationship I want to have uh, with a person based on the negativity that they that they put out uh, into the world and how they negatively affect me. Uh, so let's let's speak more in that language and less about whether people are good or bad in some metaphysical way. All right, cool. All right. So the last thing I want to ask you about on your list here, um, we are not comfortable admitting ignorance. Uh, so this is something that I've found to be um, something that's kind of related to my third point about I've noticed that the uh, something that really prohibits me is when I when I note persistent hypocrisy and a double standard. Um, and obviously, I I notice this more on the atheist side than the Christian side. You you might disagree with that, but there is this double standard when it comes to this topic about admitting ignorance. So atheists and skeptics they they're almost proud and almost like virtue it's almost like a virtue like oh I, i'm so proud to admit i don't know i'm a hero because i can say i don't know how the universe was formed or how these how the dna was formed or something like that and i i think you're right that yeah if you don't know something it is a virtue to just be upfront. it's no shame to say i don't know but i have noticed on the opposite end when atheists challenge christians for example on the mechanics of substance dualism how does the soul interact with with the body and if the christian says look I, I don't know it's almost like haha we got you you're not you're not warranted in believing in the soul or something like that because you don't know all the details about it so have you noticed any kind of double standard or or what's your take on this no i think it's bad on both sides so it's a pox on both houses and i don't think that either house has a worse case of the pox than the other um so this is something you know these things on this list are things that i think that we we all do pretty bad yeah. um so part of the poison associated with not admitting i don't know is found in a couple of other places in in my lists uh, one of them is the expectational goals uh, so we've already talked about that if you have an expectational goal of i'm going to save your soul and the most important thing in the world is saving your soul. And if that means that I have to state something more emphatically than I really believe or, or state something that I don't really understand and pretend like I do understand it, but the result is it saves your soul, then it was worth it. Um, so this is, this is kind of where expectational goals can cause us to veer away from the more honest, uh, just saying, I don't know. And, um, so the uh, the other place where that shows up, maybe we'll get uh, into that in uh, things that we can improve. But I, I yeah, we it, well, it's about winning. Uh, we're trying to win. You know, the, one of the things that debate does is it fosters the idea of winners and losers. Uh, so if if your goal is winning the point or winning the debate or coming across so that the people who hear it a year later think that you won and that you were smarter and that your points were better. If that's the goal, then you are going to uh, 
avoid saying things like, I don't know, because you know what? I don't know is not a winning position. <laughs> that's, a, that's a kind of a losing position. If you don't know and the other one deigns to know, then they're going to have the advantage um, because the hearer is going to hear one person being sure about a uh, thing and the other person saying, well, I'm not sure about a thing. So that we just kind of naturally give the win to the person who's more sure. Um, so if your goal is winning, if once again, it's kind of this expectational goal of a conversation, when that gets off kilter, um, then it becomes harder and harder to admit what you don't know. And so I think that because both sides often have goals that are off kilter, uh, we don't, when we should, admit that we don't know something. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, right? Uh, and I see we have reason to doubt here. So I, I think it's either Jordan or Jared, not sure who, but he's kind of agreeing. Look, his goal in the debate is to promote the truth. Um, the truth, <laughs> that's smarter and better. Okay, goodness. But anyways, uh, yeah, I think in our debate, when we did the Great Shroud debate, um, that was the main goal. We were kind of, we wanted to look and try to progress towards the truth as much as possible. It wasn't about just winning at all costs, and that's really what it's got to be about. And if you don't know something, just say just say you don't know. There's no shame in that on other on either side and stuff like that. Okay, so it was Jordan, <laughs> and he was just joking there. But all right, cool. Well, so that's it in terms of your list. Um, my my third and hang, final hang on. Uh, I do want to touch on one or two. But I know this is going long, but I um. There are one or two things in this list that I just wanted clarification. I had hoped that you would have asked about those. So the first one, uh, I could be really quick. It's not that we don't listen. It's that we don't know how to listen. Uh, I worry that very intentionally. Uh, and I don't mind saying I don't know how to listen. I don't even know what the goal of listening is half the time. Because I'm, I'm not just having a conversation with you privately. We're doing a show. Um, and you know, there's no moderator, no host here, but if I were doing a show and I had to moderate it or quote unquote host it, I can't afford to listen maybe the same way I would if I were just having a private conversation because I've got to a be entertaining and B I've got to, uh, kill as much dead space as possible because that's death, death on a show. And I am constantly looking at my notes. And so I'm not listening as much to the other person as maybe I should. And I'm not even sure that I should listen uh, in that way when I'm hosting a show because I have a responsibility uh, to present. Uh, when you're a presenter, um, your, your responsibility is to present clearly to the audience what you were trying to say. And in a debate, yeah, the other person has to talk too, but you only have so much time. And so you can't spend all of your time carefully considering what the other guy is saying. You have to be very aggressive and that cancels out a lot of opportunities to listen. So as a, as someone who hosts shows and conversations, I do not even know what the goal of listening should be or how to do it well in the context of of doing a show like this i i invite comments from the skeptics i think listening is very important and uh, all that yada 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 but you know if you're doing a debate you're trying to win um you're not necessarily trying to 
you know, do the do the highest quality of listening. Yeah, so sorry, I wasn't listening really, but uh... yeah, no, I I understand that. I I stopped listening myself after. All right. I do I do agree with what you're saying in terms of the debates and stuff like that. Um, there is some, there is to some degree where you you can't be intensely listening because you you've also got to be preparing your own response and stuff like that and at the same time right for the rebuttal phases and stuff so obviously there are pros and cons to the debate format and stuff and it's not always conducive to like okay doing a serious uh, serious listening and stuff like that um because you know while the guy's talking oh he said this let me try to find a counterpoint and stuff like that but right yeah, so I can understand. Yeah. In the fog of war, I can show you anyone who has not done public debate or anything like that, you have no idea. You you have no idea how hard it is to become a good listener if that's the only model that you that you have. When you are on stage, uh, the clock is ticking. You only have so many opportunities to score points. Um, it's really hard to listen in the way the audience would think is um you know the way we ought to listen so i i can show you i listen very differently when i'm having a private conversation with someone than i do when i'm on air and it's it's hard to balance the various needs of own airness with good listening the other the other one i just just real quick we try to force our interlocutor to speak our language when making their point i was mostly thinking about me on this one so i just want to this is more of a confessional Okay. Then uh, anything else? Um, when I am uh, having a conversation with a Christian, I will often cut off their uh, their major approaches uh, and and kneecap them from the start. Um, and I and I recognize this. You know, what they want to do is make an evangelistic appeal. If I say up front, well, you can't make an evangelistic appeal. You have to make your case in a, in a way that's not an evangelistic appeal. Uh, that's unfair because what they have to say is in the form of an evangelistic appeal. Um, another uh, thing to uh, that might be an example is uh, if what a person if what a Christian argue is arguing is something very spiritual or even mystical or biblical, it's to demand that they can only talk about their point in terms of the secular and scientific. Okay, I, Christians often try to do that, and they sound silly when they do it. But the reason they sound silly is because you've taken away their natural language. Uh, they're trying their best to say spiritual, mystical things in a secular, scientific way. And they're not equipped to do it. So, of course, they're going to seem silly. But that, that's because you've, you've tried to force their message into your language instead of understanding, uh, trying to meet them where they are and allowing them to speak their truth in their own voice. And, yeah, and I, I think that we need to, we have to get better at letting everyone speak their truth in their own voice. 
I think that is so true. So I'm, I'm glad you did mention this because I kind of scanned over that. But this is a major complaint. Like if you go on YouTube and, you know, the, there's all these debates on Discord and Clubhouse and all this stuff. Like, you know, if you watch Tom Rabbit or Jack Gangstrich and stuff, and there, there's become this kind of interrogation style, right? Like, you know, give me yes or no, this question after question after question. It's not a conversation at all. It's just, I'm going to ask you these questions. You have to answer this way. We don't give people a chance to kind of, like for, for some people, for me, sometimes it takes a little bit. I need to start up and like, okay, figure out as I talk a little bit, figure out what, okay, here's the point I'm trying to make. I can't give an on the spot, off the cuff, perfect answer, but a lot of conversations online that I'm finding are becoming this interrogation style where it's, it's only a gotcha. I've got these series of questions. You've got to go this way. And I've seen it on both sides. And it's, it's this is just the worst thing I, I've heard. Like, I'm so glad I'm not a part of these apps and stuff. But yeah, like that interrogation, you've got to give me the answer in the way I demand you answer it. Uh, and then, okay, fine, I've got you. Now I win. You're an idiot. Get out of here, right? Like that's Yeah, I, I think that was on display in your show with Pine Creek. Um, and I, I don't want you upset Pine Creek fans. I, I liked Pine Creek before he was cool. So, um, but I think that Pine Creek has a very specific kind of style. And it's a very rapid fire uh style that tries to get to the the what he thinks is the heart of the point uh very quickly and then he can come on uh, come in on that and move on just kind of clear away all the dross uh and so answer this question answer this question okay then it's this uh then you don't have a case and i think that you in particular are not cut out for that kind of style i'm not either by the way i don't i don't know that i would do well either but the the kinds of cases that you make for the things that he was asking, there's no way that you could make a good case in that in that format. And Pine Creek isn't cut out to have the format that would give you the best chance to make your case. So I I just think it it's one of those situations where you were forced into. Uh, speaking someone else's language when you're when your case you simply are incapable of making your case on those those topics in that way and and so i i think it was unfair and i think people listening to that show should recognize that there are good reasons to disagree with you on just about everything but they didn't hear those reasons on pine creek show <laughs> so all right, cool. Well, all right. So my my third and final point, it's something we we already touched on touched upon with this like the the ignorance question, but it, it is I've noticed people have double standards and there's this persistent um hypocrisy like when having debates online and stuff and there's there can be examples on both sides. So I, I wanted to kind of get like I I think this is a major obstacle to having good conversations stuff like that like we need to have consistent standards let's do our best if we see our side doing something wrong okay let's just politely kind of say like okay no you've got it let's be consistent here let's apply the same standards and that's the way to to bring the conversation forward have you also noticed uh in your online dealings any kind of problems related to this double 
double standards that gets in the way of the conversation? Uh, yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I think there are definitely double standards, but they don't, you know, it's one of those both sides kinds of things, pox on both houses. And um, I'm going to drag the debate format through the mud again uh, on this one. So if you have a, a panel debate, you know, two, two people or three people per side, let's say two people per side on a debate, and uh, your partner makes a point that you don't agree with, that format is the wrong place to then turn to your apartment, uh, your partner and say, no, you're wrong about that. I, I very much disagree uh, on that point. And then you kind of throw your partner on under the bus and then you make, I, I, that is a terrible format for that sort of thing. But, but my point is that format is simply not conducive for anything other than a double standard in that way. Uh, which is one of the reasons why we should probably seek to find other formats to communicate. Uh, because ultimately what we want to do, what we should want to do, is not win the point, but to make sure that the best and cleanest case is made so that people who are listening uh, can make a good decision based on the best information you can present. And if that means, you know, in a conversation that a Christian has to take a moment to have a sidebar with another Christian and, and disagree on a point, they need to do it. And the same thing um, with a skeptic. Um, when, when skeptics present really bad and or dangerous ideas or ideas that are not conducive to good secular uh, humanism, they should be called to the carpet on that. We need to be policing our own sides. Um, and I don't like the, the word policing at all, but honestly, if Christians are going to make better arguments, then it, and if they're going to hear if they're going to, if there's any chance that they're going to hear criticism, it's got to come from you. It's got to come from other Christians. Uh, it can't come from us. They're not going to hear us. And the same thing with skeptics. When we hear skeptics saying bad things um, that are, are simply, uh, you know, detrimental to to a good cause, we need to be the one to police that. We need to be the one to speak up. You know, we don't need christians to jump on robert price you know skeptics needed needed to do that 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 was that was our own house and we needed to keep that in order to the extent that we have a house or a tribe to keep in order so i don't this this kind of goes to a point um that i uh made later about um echo echo chambers uh -huh. um you know we can't avoid echo chambers altogether uh, but we need to rise above them better. And people like you and I who have platforms uh, need to care less about our audiences liking us and care more about uh, putting true things into the world as we understand it.
So that is, so I'm really glad you said that because uh, let's just say I've I've started a few questions from the the comments and we'll we'll ask that at the end after you do the next section. But uh, one of them uh, you're going to have to say something that uh, one of the atheists in our audience disagrees with. Um, but we'll get to that at the end, kind of thing. So um, yeah, you you have your final section where it's like things we need to work on. So yeah, do you want to take take some time to kind of summarize those or highlight? specific yeah. do you want to talk about yeah i'll uh well i'll i'll do a rapid fire read through uh because we won't be able to talk about them all and i'll just come back on one or two by the way on the on atheists who disagree look i i invite this i don't when i say come at me bro come at me sis i'm not talking to christians i'm talking i say that on red letters more than i say it on 4s <laughs> come, come at me <laughs> I can, I can handle it. So um, let's let's have that uh, discussion. I'm not afraid of that. Um, so things that we all need to work on is how I how I phrase this. Uh, reducing our own top talk time, and uh, make sure that our type talk time is less than the person that we're talking to. Boy, how hard is that, right? Um, but I think it will. I think it would help. Uh, giving our in interlocutor the last word, uh, because everyone knows that the most important word of a show is not the first word; it's the last one. Uh, don't be afraid to let that go. Um, being able to accurately summarize our interlocutor's position. This is so important. So important. We should not leave a conversation where we disagree, where we don't uh, each summarize the position of the other just to make sure that we understand the thing that we're arguing. Otherwise, it's just straw manning. Um, and that, that would have been a waste of time. Uh, we need to do better at still, still manning our interlocutor's position. I've not always been a big fan of still manning. I believe that people... You know, if people are making a bad argument, you should just you should let people make the argument that they want to make, even if it's a bad one. But I, I think that there's a combination of both here. You shouldn't try to correct the person who's making the argument and telling them what they should or shouldn't think. But you can also uh, say, I, I see where you're going and an even better example of that uh to make your case might be um, because that's a part of fully understanding the other person's position when you can steel man uh, that position. And I, I think that uh, that would help. Assuming your interlocutor uh, has uh, intellectual and conversational integrity rather in, uh, rather than assuming that they're disingenuous this one again. I'm, I'm preaching to myself. I I make this error all the time, and I you know you're talking to someone, and you just think you're just you're just saying shit so that you don't lose. Even if you think that, you should just keep it to yourself, and find ways in that conversation to assume, even if you're wrong, that they are being honest. Otherwise, why are you even having a conversation uh, at that point? You have no reason to continue if you're really convinced. Uh, that they're not being honest, um, not being dismissive. Um, yeah, this one, not being dismissive of your um, opponent's 
take, uh, uh, I'm sorry, not being dismissive of any argument your, uh, your interlocutor takes seriously. I got to take a second for this one because, uh, again, I'm, I'm preaching to myself here. And I'll just use a, an example uh, between you and I. Uh, every time you say shroud, my eyes glaze over. Uh, I've already I've studied it. I've considered it. Uh, and if you're you're stating an opinion that's based on shroud, whatever, I, j I just dismiss it. I don't even want to talk about it. However, I have come to the conclusion that that is an incorrect way to go about it. It's not that I am going to, you know, start thinking that the shroud is an important thing. I'm not. But if your case is based on that, if your case is based on, uh, you know, the existence of ghosts, which which I also dismiss, because I don't want to dismiss you, and because I want to engage with you and your ideas, I am going to give you the best chance to make your most convincing case that ghosts are real. I'm going to at least ask follow-up questions so that you can tell me uh, why you think ghosts are the, the, the best explanation for it. And I, I reserve the right to, to disagree at the end of the day, but I'm not going to be dismissive of it. You know, if I've agreed to have a conversation with you, I'm going to have a damn conversation with you, and I'm not going to dismiss half of everything that you say because I think it's ridiculous. So um, this is this is something that I will have to work on because I'm not there yet, but I'm convinced it's necessary for both sides. We need to stop being dismissive of the things that are key to the other person's argument. You're not having a conversation at that point. Uh, the rest of these go quickly. Um, recognize our own presuppositions. That's obvious. Uh, providing good sources and acknowledging when our sources are weak or when we don't have sources at all. I just did a, uh, put out a red letters today and I had a particular theory and I acknowledged as I spelled out that theory, I don't have a single academic source or otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> for this. this is my gut feeling i might be batshit crazy um and and we just we need to be able to separate out our own uh opinions from good sources and let people let people know when when we're not well sourced that's fine that's okay um walking away from discussion with hard feelings we should never walk away from a discussion with hard feelings. Uh, we just shouldn't. So if, if the discussion is rough, we should spend some time, at least off air, but hopefully on air, separating that discussion out and you know getting, getting rid of the fog of war so that we don't walk away with hard feelings toward the other person. Um, we've, we've taken the discussion too far when we do. Uh, and then the last one, Keeping the conversation about the issues and not about the individual, no matter how public the figure is. Here again, I'm preaching to myself. No matter how public the figure is and no matter how bad uh, their, their ideas are or how badly they've personally messed up. So just as an example, um, you know, when I talk about Ravi Zachariah, 
and his hypocrisy. I, I think that's probably not the best way to talk about this productively, because the issue is not Ravi Zachariah is a hypocrite. The issue is uh, sexual uh, exploitation is bad, and one of the ways it happens is when you know people are made ashamed to come out and admit things publicly. Um, it, it's okay to say that this public figure uh, made a mistake, and often people in high figures of authority uh, fall into these kinds of traps, and we, we should be aware. You know, there are ways to talk about this without making the issue Ravi Zachariah. Now, that may be hard. Uh, that goes along with separating uh, opinions from people. We also have to separate, uh, you know, people's actions that are harmful from becoming occasions of personal ad hominem. Uh, I don't know exactly how to do this. I, I've been trying to figure out how to do that. I'm open to suggestion with doing that. But just because a figure is public and they messed up badly doesn't mean that the conversation suddenly shifts to focusing on that person rather than the issue. And if you can't talk about it in a way that separates out the issue from the person, you probably aren't ready to talk about it yet. Okay. All right, cool. So I, I kind of more or less agree with a lot of your list that I do have issues with the first two things, you know, you saying that you make sure that you talk less than that of your interlocutor. I, I don't think that necessarily needs to be the case. It's whatever's best for the conversation. Maybe in context, you need to speak a little bit longer type type thing than the interlocutor, but you do need to be respectful and, and make sure that each side gets their fa fair say and to present their case in the best possible light. I think that's kind of the goal. If that means sometimes you talk longer, that's fine. If that means like in this conversation, I, I think that you've talked more than me. That's totally fine. I, I'm more adopting kind of a, you've got more points to discuss. So that's totally fine. That serves the conversation. There is one thing that I think you missed that's related to number one. And this this is an issue that originally you were horrible with when we started Skeptics and Seekers, but I think you've gotten better on it and worked on it. But it it's the issue of interrupting. And I, I found that a lot of times in my conversations with atheists online and stuff like that, like or, or on a show, that I will literally get out two or three words. And because, so with you, to, to focus on you, like you, you obviously anticipate where I'm going. We know the points that we're going to make and the counterpoints and stuff like that in it almost in advance because we've heard it before, but the audience hasn't. So if I get out three words or something before I make my point and then you're already interrupting, that's not good conversation. It, it leaves the other person feeling like they, they're not being heard or getting a fair chance to say their point. Even if you have a counterpoint, I don't care. Let the audience hear me make the point. Then you come back on it. So uh, not interrupting um, your interlocutor, I think, is another key uh, sort of a stylistic piece of advice that would really help with conversations. And to your credit, you have gotten a lot better on that compared to the first season of SNS. So yeah, I don't know if you have anything to say about that. I, I just wanted to make sure I didn't interrupt on that point. Um, so uh, yeah, there there are a couple of couple of points to that. I don't, I don't 
fully disagree uh, with that. Uh, I think kind of to your point, it depends on the kind of conversation because sometimes a conversation where people occasionally talk over each other and um, pound the table, sometimes that's a better conversation. Depends on the people involved in the conversation. Um, sometimes it isn't. And so you do have to be sensitive to that. When I interrupt, especially uh, in the first season, as bad as I was, uh, I notoriously don't take notes while I'm on the show. A lot of people take notes while they're on the show. They have a pencil and paper and they write or they take notes on their uh, laptop. For me, taking notes during live action is so distracting. And it guarantees that I'm not, I'm missing some important part of what you're saying, because some part of my brain is focused on forming notes for the last thing you said. So my memory also notoriously bad. If there is a very important clarification that I need you to make, I found that it was better, at least for me, to just interrupt Ask for that clarification right now before I forget about it, because I'm not jotting it down. I'm not coming back later <laughs> uh, to do it. And so if you've got a, you know, a, a 10 minute speech to make, I don't mind you taking a 10 minute speech. I just want to be able to get clarifications um, along the way. And if you say something, for instance, here's where I think interruption is, is um, justified. If you are, if you're making a statement that is, factually untrue in a way that would uh, change your argument if if you knew the other fact. I think it is almost required for the person to interrupt and say, oh, no, in, in this case, um, you, should, you should be aware that I don't actually believe that. And it sounds like you're making a case based on the idea that you think I believe something that I don't believe. So it, it it's almost rude to let you go 10 minutes and then say, yeah, I don't actually believe that. Okay. I, I kind of disagree with that. I, I do. I, I can understand like if someone's going on for 10 minutes and it's, it's not like it's supposed to be an uninterrupted opening type deal, then I think you can just like very quickly interrupt for clarification. Um, but when you interrupt to like correct the other person or, in some cases, like what would happen on our shows is you would proceed to make my to misrepresent what I was going to say and stuff like that in some ways, unintentionally, not on purpose, but you you would represent, you know, oh, here's what Dale's going to say and here's why it doesn't work. And it wasn't what I was going to say. It was a little bit twisted. So that that kind of throws the other person off. So that, I think that's where we need. Yeah, to I, I agree. I, I I think that that sort of thing is is rude. A lot of us, a lot of us, internet type people, um, you know, often have sharp minds that run ahead, um, and it's really hard for some of us. Um, and I, I put myself in this category to just sit and focus and do nothing for a long time between uh, speeches. And I know you're saying, no, what you're supposed to be doing is listening. 
Right. But I've already established I'm not really good at that. <laughs> um, and there's there's a part of my brain. I mean, one of the things that I used to do to help try to keep me from interrupting is I do cubes. I, I'm a cuber. So I, I usually have a stack of cubes around um, that I that I do. Yeah. Rubik's Rubik's cube type stuff. Three by threes, four by fours, five by fives, uh, various shapes. You name it. I, I, I do them. Um, and so that would occupy a, the part of my brain that's rushing ahead um, so that I don't feel as itchy to jump in and say, yeah, yeah, I got that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got it. Grant it. Let's, let's move to the more interesting point. <laughs> right. I, I understand that's rude. And I also just know my own makeup that makes it hard for me not to do that. And so I try to employ, uh, employ little tricks like that. This was before I was doing video. It's a little bit harder to do it on video now because people can see that you're doing a cube. <laughs> so, so um, yeah, I, I agree with you there. Uh, and even if I know where your point is going, it's irrelevant because I have to practice my own preaching, which is we're talking to the audiences behind us. So my audience may not know where you're going, and I have to give you a chance to spool out that point. Gotcha. All right, cool. Well, I think that covers it in terms of all of our points. Um, we do have three audience questions. So are you do you have any is there anything else that you wanted to, to say and stuff? Or do you think you feel you've represented your, your take? I think we could talk for two more hours and not scratch the surface. Um, in fact, we have talked for, you know, hours on in about this stuff. So what people are getting is the, the surface gloss <laughs> of, of the stuff that we have talked about. So I'm just going to say, I think that, uh, I'm very satisfied with, um, the, uh, the content that we've talked about. And I would just request that the audience, Give me a little bit of time uh, to integrate some of these things, uh, because I, you know, when I when I recognize something that I'm bad at or something that I need to improve on, that's not going to happen in a day. It took a long time to get this bad at it. It's going to take a while to get better at it. So have a little bit of uh, grace as we go through that. Fair enough. Yep, and that works both ways, right? Like, I mean, I. I've got my own issues that, that have taken me a long time to kind of work on and I'm, there's still works in progress and stuff like that. So yeah, I think it's whether you're Christian or atheist, we've all got things that we need to work on and to keep working on um, and stuff and always be vigilant in trying to have that proper uh, debate or discussion etiquette type thing. So, all right, cool. Well, let me turn to our first audience question from Digital Hammurabi. And he's saying, uh, kind of going back to what we were talking about a while back there, should we be focusing on dangerous ideas rather than, than identifying uh, some person as bad? Um, yeah, what's your take on that? Uh, yeah, I, I think that we, this is the different, the, the separation between ideas and the person. Um, there are people I like who have some bad ideas that I think are dangerous. 
And I don't have to not like the person to address the ideas. I, I think we have to learn how to talk about people less and ideas more. And I'm, uh, you know, I, I'm in this thing because I think Christianity itself is a dangerous idea as it's largely understood and practiced. That's, that's different from saying, I think Christians are bad people. Um, so let's, by all means, let's, let's try to make this as much about the ideas as possible. We're humans. It's, it's hard to make that distinction sometimes, but that's, that's something that I'm committed to, to doing. Yeah, I, th I think on my end, again, for the purposes of conversation, in general, I, I like this principle and I think that it's a good thing to do for the sakes of conversations and stuff like that. Um, however, I, I will admit, as a Bible-believing Christian, there, there are points when we do judge a, a person as being bad or, or, you know, it's, there's this saying kind of thing, God uh, loves the person, hates, hates the sin. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily biblical, even though it, it, it sounds great, because in the, there are verses where God doesn't really separate the sin from the sinner. And he, it does say literally explicitly, he hates certain sinners. So in some ways he loves every, he loves these sinners and he hates them simultaneously. Not, I'm not going to get into like a hermeneutical lesson as to how we reconcile that. But um, I do think that the, it is sometimes appropriate if done in a loving and edifying way from a Christian perspective to point out that, you know, you're a sinner or you're sinning when you do this kind of thing. Right. And we need to point that out that there, we do have character flaws because we are contaminated by sin and stuff like that. So, you know, especially in the sake of conversation, if you're having a conversation with a Christian, we do need to reconcile with that essential core belief. And that might entail us labeling the person as, yeah, we believe you are a sinner. We, we're all sinners. I'm a sinner kind of thing. And, you know, it's, we can't always separate the bad deeds from the person themselves. I, I think that's a matter of personal, you know, how you integrate this stuff into your personal life. And that becomes a personal choice. Uh, I agree very much that it's very hard to separate the idea from the person for conversational purposes we need to do it if we're going to have a conversation at all but it's it's a little bit like you know let me see if this analogy works separating the message from the billboard well that's kind of impossible uh isn't it if you've got a message that's painted on a billboard and the message is bad the billboard is not the problem the message is the problem however the only way to stop that message from spreading is to take down the billboard. Um, and, you know, this leads into things like cancel culture and things like that, which I don't necessarily want to talk uh, about. But, um, you know, the only way to cancel certain messages, uh, so it seems, is to cancel the people presenting those messages. And I, I think as someone who is very much against cancel culture you uh you would say no we have to be able to separate the message from the person um and so you i think you understand at least from that analogy where i'm coming from but at the same time the billboard analogy says 
the the message is the billboard. Gotcha. Yeah, I think that yeah. The, again, it's all about proper discernment. That there does come a point where you. I mean, hate speech. I agree with the legal definition of hate speech. I I do think that that is a good definition. We should censor people who are giving legitimate hate speech, not you know the wider definition that has come about nowadays. I'm against that stuff politically and everything, but there is a point definitely where look, you've crossed the line kind of thing, right? You're actively influencing people to hurt other people. This is literally dangerous. We need to stop you from promoting this and stuff like that. So yeah, I would agree with that. All right. Uh, next question is from uh, one of your fans, Per Aspera Ad Astra. And she asks, bad and good are subjective ideas. Um, they can become objective only based on shared goals. Um, uh, well, uh, fan or not, I happen to agree with that. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you know, bad or good in a vacuum don't really mean anything. Um, a bad, if you say this is a bad meal, that's too much of a vacuum. Uh, you may not have liked the taste of the salmon. But to a starving person who hasn't eaten a full meal in their lives, this is the best meal they've ever had. Uh, so you you have to kind of subjectively define what you mean by bad and good uh, by the, the goals that you have for the thing. So I, I would agree agree with that and i i think that if you think that bad and good are somehow metaphysical realities then you think that they're standalone concepts in and of themselves and i don't gotcha yeah i i so i i definitely would disagree that as a christian i definitely disagree that bad and good are subjective ideas um you know in terms of saying they can only become objective based on shared goals um I, I would disagree with that in the larger sense of, you know, morality in general. I think that is grounded in God. And um, God, I, I think we have to be honest that God is a subject, right? So, but it's it's not grounded in his ideas. It's it's not, so the Euthyphro dilemma would say, well, if it's, if morality is internal to God, oh, what's it grounded in? It's grounded in his will. He just arbitrarily wills rape to be bad. He arbitrarily wills uh giving the charity to be good no that's not the christian claim it's internal to god but it's grounded in his moral nature itself and you know some people want to say well well that's an objective standard because it's not based on human opinion or something like that or it's not even based on god's opinion or will um it's objective to what his nature is but again i when i debate the moral argument I don't really care about using the objective versus subjective distinction. I more try to argue that there are logically necessary moral truths, which include moral principles and lower level derivative moral duties. Um, so I argue for the logical necessity, and I think that's a more helpful argument than distinguishing objective and subjective, because guess what? God is, technically speaking, he's a subject. So morality, if it's grounded in God, that's kind of subjective, right? Unless you define objective in a certain way. So 
yeah, that's that's kind of my take on that. So yeah, well, and it should concern you that I agree with you. Um, okay, so this conversation <laughs> so, over, yeah, <laughs> if agreeing with me, that's uh, oh my goodness. Well, I mean, objective and subjective are kind of hot button terms that have come to not mean very much, and I, I do think that. Uh, if we talk about logical uh, necessities, uh, I think that we can talk about logical necessities almost in the same way that uh, we talk about uh, evolutionary imperatives. There are some things that rise above what we want to be. You know, they, these these are things that simply are. And um, so, if that if that scares anyone and makes them think that I am promoting you know, some kind of objective morality, you're, you're wrong and you're just not hearing what I'm saying properly. I think that reality is reality though. And if you can talk about moral realities in a way that's logically necessary, that's a conversation I'm very happy to have. All right. Awesome. So now we come to my favorite one. This is a uh, fellow atheist, Jordan from reason to doubt who, uh, I think is a great guy and a, and a, a great interlocutor himself. Um, but he's going to be challenging you a little bit here, David, because look, he, he says, come at me, bro. <laughs> so he says, look, tribalism is a problem for theists and atheists alike. I agree, obviously, but oh, a little provocative for you, David, because you're a Jesus mythicist. He says, just suggest that Jesus existed. If you want to see dogmatic atheism, uh, are you a dogmatic atheist there, David? You are a mythicist. So, What's your take on this? I feel like I don't understand the question. Um, so am I a dogmatic atheist? Am I an atheist based on dogma? Uh, no, I'm an atheist based on that's the reality seems to suggest that is the thing that is true. So I'm, I'm trying to feedback in my opinions that which I believe comport with reality. Um, it's it's not based on a religion or a dogma or something like that. And so if you can show me in through reality that it is not true and that there's, there's something else, I'm happy to learn that. Um, so I, I think that religion almost by necessity is dogmatic because you don't get, you know, some of the most important religious propositions without some kind of special revelation of dogma. It it is it it does become a matter of dogma and creeds and such. You know, what is the Trinity? Well, that's a dogma. That's not um, something that you come about as a natural idea. So I don't I don't think that I have any dogma. Um, with re regard to my atheism, I recognize no creeds, I recognize no prophets, um, I recognize reality, and uh, I can talk about reality as I understand it, and when I am wrong, I correct my model of reality. Uh, but so far, it hasn't been corrected to the point that uh, belief in God would be the outcome. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And just for, so your knowledge, in the 
comments, Jordan is qualifying what he meant. He, he's he's not trying to say that you necessarily are a dogmatic atheist and stuff, but um, that's ruining the wedge I was trying to bring between you guys. So, uh, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry about that. Well, I mean, I'm all for wedges. I mean, uh, if you can do it. <laughs> <laughs> let, let me try to twist the knife a little bit if I can. But, okay. um, so, so do, me and you have done shows on your your reasons as to why you are a mythicist, and obviously you you have a a, a non standard definition of Jesus mythicist, right? Where you you're a myth, you just argue for mythicism uh, in the sense that you believe Jesus is a myth in terms of the full gospel Jesus and stuff like that. That was kind of on that front, you you are even saying even some Christians are Jesus mythicists and stuff, right? But um, one thing I want to say, kind of restricting it to the normal sense of Jesus, like a historical figure named Jesus who inspired the Christian Gospels kind of thing, uh, you believe, you would also believe he didn't exist. That's correct. I, now, I, don't, I don't believe that um, there's a single individual that is the source of Jesus mythicism any more than I believe that there's a single individual that inspired the King Arthur uh, saga of stories. Uh, I do not deny that there could possibly be, you know, some figure or figures that inspired the King Arthur story. We just have no reason that we've unearthed to believe that. And so with regard to Jesus, his story uh reads more like myth and some of the inconsistencies are explained better uh with myth but could there be some collection of teachers uh and some collection of of sage teachings from that time that inspired uh the euhemerization of Jesus sure but that's a very different claim than the christian is making the, the christian is making that the jesus of the gospels virgin birth and resurrection is in fact the only historical jesus uh worth talking about and i say to that well then i am a mythicist because i don't believe that jesus existed and many christians don't believe that jesus existed okay so so here's my kind of follow-up question then looking specifically at the narrow definition the definition of mythicist that richard carrier would have or bart ehrman and stuff like that i think it could be uh given in conversation at, as a sincere point that this is an example of do, quote-unquote dogmatic atheism and you you know my arguments already it's because i think that the evidence is of such a nature that it is proven beyond all reasonable doubt i arbitrarily define that as there's 95.01 percent or higher probability that the historical Jesus existed. Now, that could be uh, offensive, right? Because I'm saying that you are unreasonable and in this epistemic sense. Do, do, you, think, do you think it's possible for someone to, what's your take if somebody says, look, things are proven beyond all reasonable doubt, and this implies that the interlocutor is unreasonable. Is that something that, is possible like, you know we do i have... think it's i think it's a statement that we should try to avoid it may be uh there may be another way of saying it um that would not immediately imply that your interlocutor is stupid 
um, or that they're being unreasonable. Because uh, go back to an earlier point. If you think your interlocutor is being unreasonable or is stupid, you shouldn't be having the conversation. So the problem is with you, not your interlocutor. You're the smart one, and you know that your interlocutor is the stupid and unreasonable one. So why did you turn on the mic? Um, so I think I think we have to find ways to recognize the reasonableness of the position of the other and reasonable doesn't have to satisfy your uh, Plantigan idea of warrant. Reasonable just needs to be that for that person in that person's um, understanding of the universe and with the capabilities they have, they have good reasons to believe what they are believing. It doesn't mean whether it's, you know, overall warranted to believe that uh, it's reasonable for a small child to believe that the earth is flat even today. All right. But uh, it, it may not be reasonable for that child's parent to believe that. And we, we, but we need to just stop making assumptions, I think, about what is reasonable or not reasonable for other people, because there are a lot of things that you would have to know about that person that you don't know. To make that statement, never, never. That being said, I'm not offended by you saying that it's beyond all reasonable, uh, all reasonable doubt. I just think that you have to kind of recognize what you're saying when you say that. So I believe that it is reasonable for you to believe that Jesus was a real per person. I know within my own head that it is reasonable for me not to believe that um, Jesus was a real person. And the only thing that we can do with a conversation is present our best case without passing the judgment on our case, saying that ours is the only one that's reasonable. Gotcha. All right. Perfect. Well, yeah, that does it in terms of the questions that I can see. I, I know we're getting a lot of comments interacting, but I think I've covered all the questions that I was able to see. So I, feel free to throw in some comments. I don't have access to the comments and, um, even though I've got a bladder full that I need to go empty. Um, this is a, you know, I don't usually have live opportunities for live comments and questions and things on my shows. And so I'd, I'd love for you to share some of the, um, some of the comments as uh, they've bubbled up. Okay. Just, just random. Okay. Well, here's one yeah. from, from Titan. Um, so kind of on the mythicist thing there, there are mm -hmm. Shakespeare mythicists, right? which doesn't matter at all in, in a discussion of the parallels between Cleopatra and the poetry of Omar KM and stuff. Right. But mm -hmm. uh, obviously it's out of context and stuff. Right. But yeah, like that. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. That's, that's okay. I, um, right. The, the mythicism that you might have about one figure or another, especially with regard to religion, doesn't, isn't the, the big, issue unless the issue itself is mythicism because what christians should know going into the discussion is that we're uh, all atheists are mythicists about something <laughs> okay there's there is some person or something that we think is mythical otherwise we would be believers uh so uh you know let's let's not christians should stop being shocked that you know there are skeptics who believe that thing is mythical but skeptics ought to not be satisfied with just saying well i think that was a myth and so i don't have to interact with it that's not true either 
and so my entire conceit of writing red letters and doing the red letters podcast is that uh we're discussing uh you know whether you believe that jesus was real or not what we're discussing is the teachings that are ascribed to jesus the teachings are real i don't care if jesus was real it doesn't matter if the teachings themselves in isolation are good teachings then we ought to be able to recognize that and if they're bad teachings uh we ought to be able to recognize that regardless of whether he was real or not and so that's that's part of kind of what the skeptic has to do when they engage in the conversation uh we don't believe that you know there was a you know the the Jesus of the Bible was real. We don't believe that God ever spoke to Abraham. Many of us don't believe there was a such thing as Moses. Maybe there was, maybe there wasn't. We don't care. There are lots of things that we don't believe, but these things are still culturally and philosophically important enough to spend some time with. Uh, so, you know, my, my mythicism is generally irrelevant to uh, the theological conversation unless that conversation is itself about mythicism. And then that's not a theological position. That's more of a historical uh, uh, debate that you're having. All right. All right. Well, here's one that's kind of political for reason to doubt. Um, I, I don't know where the line is on, look, we have an idea we should discuss and quote unquote harmful idea we should eject from the public square. Um, and then he talks about he thinks Nazis are definitely on the they're the, on the bannable side. Um, just to kind of th let's let's personalize this. There there is this issue. I'm I'm sort of famous for defending the Abraham test, for example, right? And there are people like Tara who who have who's been on the show, kind of thing. And she's like, yeah, look, you need to be ostracized. You you are dangerous. You have this harmful idea that it was okay for Abraham to obey God's order to sacrifice his son Isaac. Um, where, where would you draw the line between an idea that we should discuss, uh, respectfully and stuff like that versus look, you're, you're harmful. I'm calling the cops and I, I'm going to do everything I can to destroy your career, to censor you, you know, to protect society kind of thing. Uh, I don't have a line. Uh, it's a more of a case by case thing. It's more of a gut feeling thing. This is the benefit of being a platform owner, right? Um, you have a platform, uh, you can discuss whatever the hell you want to <laughs> and you can you can have anyone on your show that you want to and you can not have anyone on the show that you don't want to um so you don't have to have a line you don't even have to be consistent uh you have the platform i have a platform uh it's not a big one it's not a terribly significant one but it's it's my platform and so if i feel like discussing nazis and having conversations with nazis i will have nazis on the show and if i feel like nazis uh, is a bridge too far i'm not going to have them on the show this is not a matter of uh political debate this is a matter of my platform i'll talk about what i want to talk about and i'll not talk about what i don't want to talk about and you can love me or hate me come at me bro um so you know, that's, I don't, I don't think that I have a consistent view on that other than I, at this moment in time, would not provide a platform to Nazis to make their best case. Because what if I'm having an off day that day 
and a really smart Nazi comes on who's smarter than me, and they're having a good day, and I can't make a good case. And Nazism comes out sounding better. I don't want to be responsible for putting that out there. I'm just not going to have that conversation. Because I think that that is something where we have had the conversation in our body politic a lot, and history gives us that. Uh, so I don't, I don't think there's a lot of new things you can say about Nazism. Read history if you want to be a part of that conversation and understand why that is uh, generally not a part of the conversation today. I'm not going to have, uh, I'm not going to allow racists, uh, open racists on the show. I just wouldn't have that conversation. And yet this is where the inconsistency falls because I will have people who are very much opposed to homosexuals and trans transgender. Well, why? Where's the line? Because I'm 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 against that kind of uh, that kind of bigotry as well. However, I think that is a part of the religious conversation that I am trying to have, and that's one of those places where I have to say, okay, for the sake of the conversation, I'm going to have to swallow my dislike and try to have a reasonable conversation about that because that is absolutely germane uh, to the to the greater conversation that that we're trying to have. So yeah, I'm I'm sorry I can't be pinned down with a with a consistent line that I've drawn somewhere. Um and I I don't know that anyone else can either but um you know if I ever cross that line if I ever do have a show that I feel like oh man I wish I hadn't done that I'll come back and say it. <laughs> and if I ever change my mind about, you know, having conversations about Nazis, I, I guess you'll see a show about Nazis at some point. But right now it's a case by case gut feeling. All right. Awesome. And here will be the last one, just because we're approaching the two hour. We're over two and a half hours. So here's two the and last. a half hours. Come on, man. That's like <laughs> half an SNS. What are you doing? Hey, I was up to David Russell kept me up to like 2 a.m. Kind of after the show with Tyler Vela and uh, uh, Joel purchase last night so i'm All tired right. if if we have to present a short show okay one one more <laughs> yeah i will say that some of when i was on sns with david as my co-host some of those sns shows were like four hours uh, yeah. it's insane so and, and yeah. then there would be an after show we really need lives but uh, yeah. <laughs> so here, here's the last comment it's kind of related but uh, so look, holy wars are historical proof that God belief is not always benign. Oh, well, I, I think that's more you than me. I think that any holy war is proof that God belief is not always benign. It's obviously not benign because we're having a war to kill people who believe otherwise. So I don't, I don't, I don't believe in holy wars. I don't believe in holy. So um, and I'm not a huge fan of war, but when you put them together, I think it's bad every time. And if that's fueled by some kind of God belief, then, uh, then it's, then it's bad every time, uh, every time someone dies in the name of, or because of a religious idea, it's proof that religion is not benign. Yeah. So in, in a way I, I was looking up just the meaning of benign just to make sure so okay not uh not harmful in effect gentle kindly 
obviously, look, any war, whether it's a holy war or not, ordered by God or not, is not going to be benign under this definition. It it has harmful effects. I, you know, I, I've kind of described it's not the moral ideal. God doesn't like these things. But sometimes in this sinful world, wars are necessary. They are justified uh, because there's a greater good. Um, that doesn't mean that the killing itself is any less regrettable or we should we should be abhorred that we had to resort to these means to achieve this greater good stuff like that but i in the same way i believe that there are wars that are morally justified if not morally ideal um it, the same can be the case with god ordering i mean even more so with god right if we've got knowledge from god a morally perfect God telling us that you have to fight this war in these circumstances, then, I mean, that's even more warranted than us just coming up with our own fallible human reasoning to, okay, I think that fighting World War II against Hitler is a, is a good justified war. You're killing Nazis. That's still regrettable. That's not morally ideal. These are human beings, right? But look at what they're doing. We, we got to do what we got to do at certain points, even if it's regrettable. So, yeah, that's that's kind of my take. It's it's the same answer and justification for any war, regardless of whether God is the one commanding it or not. That that just if God commands it, that's just that's better because so long as we have knowledge that God is the one commanding it and that God is morally perfect, then you've got absolute knowledge that what you're the killing you're doing is morally justified. So right, I th I've got the sense that the comment though wasn't so much about war; it was about whether religion was benign uh so we agree that war is not ideal and I, we actually agree that sometimes war is necessary um but where we would disagree is that religion would be one of the necessary evils for having a war uh religion itself becomes a dangerous thing if it inspires war um religion is a um is definitely not benign if it inspires someone to harm themselves or harm other people. And I think one thing that we may agree on about religion is that religion is not supposed to be without consequence. Religion, God is all about consequence. He has a, a Jesus is all about consequence i mean if you take their message seriously it's going to turn your life upside down they're not trying to be benign yeah let's uh, so this is uh, and I, I see she's commented before this is really an epistemic question right because and it's why i the way i answer this question is always very careful right to it's basically a tautology the way i phrase it if if i have knowledge that a morally perfect god has commanded this action then that's just logically entails that the action is morally, at the very least, morally justified, if not morally ideal. Um, you know, as Val the Atheist, our mutual friend, said, that's of course true. That's a tautology, right? But it comes down to this epistemic question, well, how do you know? And that's where I get into my answer with properly basic beliefs and how, do, how does that relate to warranted true beliefs and stuff like that. I don't think that any, I would never, uh, kill anyone or, or engage in a holy war based on, oh, well, the Bible says to go to war or the Quran says to go to war because these are proven uh, 
fallible books. I, I'm not a biblical inerrantist. And the moral, not the knowledge that I gained through my moral conscience would overwhelm any kind of scriptural text that says, go out and kill this. So like that, you know, you need to assess what is your level of warrant. And I kind of said it would, whatever the degree of warrant would be from these religious beliefs would have to be more than the moral knowledge I've got from my conscience telling me that God would not in the messianic era order anyone to kill anybody. Um, and I'm not going to get that with with scripture because I, there are proven, at the very least, minor errors in there and stuff like that. And that provides enough doubt to be like, why well, I, I don't have enough sufficient level of knowledge to, oh, I'm going to kill because this book says to kill or something like that. So, mm -hmm. yeah, the only way would be if God directly reveals himself and provides us with a properly basic belief in the same way he did with Abraham back in the Old Testament. That's the only way and gave me like 100% degree of knowledge or something. Yeah, so I'm uh, willing to uh, let you have the last word on that because right. I'm, I'm trying to practice what I preach. All right, cool. Well, uh, that's that's it. Yeah, we've been going on for quite a bit. So thank you guys for listening. You guys were giving great uh, feedback in the live chat there and uh, it was interesting reading your guys' take on everything and, and debating as me and David were talking. So thank you for listening and have a great weekend, everybody. Bye-bye, everybody. There.